It's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, there's so much to be excited about in our church family, as we shared with youth groups starting, with small groups kicking off this week, and, and we do have a few spots left in small groups. They are filling up, so I encourage you to sign up for that if you're interested. But I'm just excited about, like over the next few months, as we go from being a group of people who just attend a service together to becoming a family. I just really believe that's what God has for us. I believe that, that there's gonna be some real relationships that are built it's going to feel like we have a family reunion every Sunday. That's what I want it to feel like, and I think we're headed there. And I had someone ask me this question this week. They asked, okay, we've launched our church. We have a nice group of people coming, and now what's next for our church? What's the next step? And honestly, it took me a second to answer it, which I should be able to answer that quickly. But I thought about it this week, and I wanted to share with you what the next step is because I do believe that is something that can happen as we can lose sight of where we're going. And if we lose sight of where we're going, how can we ever get to the preferred destination, right? So I kind of want to just share a brief, brief word here on the front end about where we're headed as a church. And if I had to say in a sentence, I would say over the next few months, we're going to dive in. Okay, we're going to dive into three different things. The first thing is we're going to dive into Jesus. We're going to, you know, get free of the things that are holding us back. Uh, We're going to get closer to the Lord. And that's going to happen through making the most of every Sunday morning. Okay, so when you come in here, I know it's tempting. I remember sitting where you're at and sometimes I wanted to, you know, take a nap on Sunday mornings. I get it. It's early for some people. But that's going to happen through us really pressing in during worship, through uh, really coming expecting that God's going to speak to us through the word. It's going to come through making the most of our small group time and and being ready not just to go to small group, but to really share your life in small group. It's also going to happen through you spending time with the Lord daily in your own Bible reading and prayer time. And the second thing uh, that we're going to dive into is community. Okay, So the uh, the main place this is going to happen is in small groups, but also through getting to know each other on Sunday mornings. So A prayer of mine is that on Sunday mornings we would connect with each other and go to lunch with each other after service. And by that, I don't just mean go to lunch with me. I'm saying go to lunch with each other. We would connect with each other. We would, you know, really want to be here and get to know people, not just come in and come out. So that's the second thing. And also that happens through serving on Dream Team. So if you haven't signed up for Dream Team yet, I think we've announced it like eight times. So we obviously want you to do it. And it's not because we just want uh, some roles to be filled, you know, because actually... Uh, because of our college ministry, most of the roles are always filled. I mean, they always are because, you know, college students are just crazy and they'll do anything. But, uh, but there is a winter break coming up, not going to lie. So we'll see what happens during winter break. But also, we want you to serve on the dream team because we want you to connect with other people and, and to get to know them. And then the last thing for diving in is we want to dive into reaching our city. So this last week, I ordered a 1,000 door hangers, okay? And door hangers are a great way to you know, get the word out without freaking people out because of COVID. We can just put it on people's door and leave them alone, and they can look at it and see if they want to come. It's a very cheap and effective way to get the word out. So we're going to be getting some door hangers, and we want to encourage you to join us. When we do that, we'll announce those times that we're going to go out and canvas different or different neighborhoods here in the next week or two. But also, we can reach our city by, again, serving on the dream team, being a part of making people feel welcome, and then also by going out into our community throughout the week and saying, hey, I'm going to try to find people to invite to church, and people to share Jesus with. So that could happen at your job, that could happen in the grocery store, could happen in a number of different places. But I just really believe as we dive in uh, to these three things, as we end out 2020, these next three months, I just believe God's gonna do something profound in our community. We're gonna truly start to become the kingdom community that he's called us to be. We're gonna love each other deeply. Like that's the main thing that Jesus was concerned about with his disciples before he left earth. He said, you better love each other, right? So I'm praying that would happen. I'm praying that uh, we would fall deeper in love with Jesus, and I'm praying that as those two things happen, our friends would also come to know Jesus and will make an impact in the Cedar Valley. And I'm praying that as we do these things, as we focus on the main things, like Jesus and community 
in reaching our city. I'm praying that he'll throw in other blessings as well, like a permanent location, okay? I don't know how that's going to happen, right? I don't know how, but I know that God can do anything. And I just believe as we pray for it, as we give sacrificially ourselves, that God's going to, are going to enable us to maybe build our own building or buy a building that's open. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that God has something up his sleeve. And I know that this place isn't permanent. So be praying about that and be praying about how God could uh, empower you to help us do that. But also, I'm praying that God would raise up more leaders. I don't want only three small groups. That's not enough for the amount of people in this room. I'd like, like, probably a thousand small groups if I could, right? That's what I want, a thousand small groups in our city, but hey, we'll start with trying to get to 10, okay? Let's get to 10 small groups. Let's raise up some leaders, but also raise up people to serve on staff. I don't like being uh, the only pastor who's full-time. There's a lot of work. I don't know if you know that. It's not like I just show up on Sundays and then I hang out the rest of the week. Like, there's a lot of work to run into church. I pray that we could raise up staff members, uh, but also, and I think most importantly, I'm praying that God would empower us to give more money away to missions, so in two weeks, we're having our first missionary come and speak. She's going to share a window. She's not going to preach, but she's going to share a window. And she's going to Cairo, Egypt, as soon as this COVID stuff is over. And we're already partnering with her monthly at $100 a month. We're giving that to her uh, to partner with her. But I'm praying that, that God would empower us to pick up more missionaries. Because I get calls from missionaries all the time. Like, that's like, like I feel like missionaries love lead pastors because they're supposed to be giving them money. So they're calling me all the time. These guys that I wasn't friends with before, they want to talk to me all the time now. I'm kidding. <laughs> It is, I mean, I was a missionary before this, so I can dog him a little bit. I was campus missionary, so I had to do the same thing. But anyways, I want to pick up more missionaries. Okay, so with that said, we are going somewhere as a church, and we're excited that you have decided to be a part of it or at least check it out today. And I didn't introduce myself. I'm Daniel. I'm the lead pastor here, and that was my wife, Emily, and John, uh, just my buddy who shared before that. He works on campus uh, uh, with Chi Alpha. But if we, hadn't, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'd love to meet you after service. All right, so... Uh, that's enough of that. Let's get into the message. Okay, so before we stepped into church planning, my wife and I, as I said, led the Chi Alpha Campus Ministry that's connected to our church. And we became the directors in 2015. And at the time, we were both 22 years old. We had just graduated college, and we were way in over our heads. We had no idea what we were doing. We were essentially college students uh, trying to lead a college ministry. And thankfully, we had some great mentors to guide us, several mentors. But but one of those mentors was the Chi Alpha State Director, Drew Meyer, who now pastors a church in Ames. But before that, he was the state director. And I would call him uh, just about every week on the phone and ask him to help me make a decision about every single thing. I swear, like even if it like, was a small thing, like, hey, what should our t-shirt design be? I was calling Drew, what do you think about this? I was calling Drew about student leaders. I was calling Drew about how to start different ministries within the ministry. And he was always so patient with me. I swear, if I were him, I would have been annoyed by me. But he was always so patient. He never sounded irritated. He always sounded happy to help me and happy to guide me. And I'm deeply grateful for his investment in my life. And, and when he stepped out of that state director role and started pastoring a church back in 2017, I felt a bit lost because that wasn't his job anymore to, or to mentor me. So I didn't really have a guide in that season. And, and God brought other people around us. But for the most part, I had to really learn to rely upon the Holy Spirit. And as I said, God did bring some other mentors. But, but the reality is, is we all need mentors in our life. We all need people who have more wisdom and experience than we do to help guide us. And if you're like the wisest and most experienced person ever, then you can have a peer who will help guide you. And you can guide other people as well. But that was supposed to be a joke. It wasn't funny. All right, so especially, <laughs> so especially living in a 2020 world, there is just so much to navigate that is way over our heads. It seems as if there's a new crisis in the world every single day to be worried about. Like, 
the news cycle, it's like every morning there's something new. Like when I found out that the president has coronavirus, I'm like, okay, there's something new. It's just there's something new every single week to be worried about. You know, we're navigating turbulent economic times. We're trying to avoid catching the virus ourselves. Uh, we're trying to figure out how to have a social life in a way that, that's not reckless. Uh, there's so much to navigate with the particular moment of history we're in. But at the same time, we still have all the normal concerns of life. It's not like because there's crisis or crises happening that all the normal concerns are just taken care of. No, we still have to worry about dealing with difficult people at our work. We still have to worry about how to lead our children and our families. We have to worry about how to get along with our roommates. College students, it's tough. I didn't have good experiences with roommates. If you're watching this, old roommates, I love you. Uh, <laughs> that's the thing now with the live stream. I can't just say stuff. Gosh, all right, you, know, you just never know. But, but we're navigating how to pay the bills and so forth. So with an uncertain world to navigate, we need someone who is stronger and smarter than us to rely on. And thankfully, God has not left us alone. When Jesus left the earth, he told his disciples that it was to their advantage that he went away because he was sending someone to help them. That same person is available, and he's actually here today. That person is the Holy Spirit. Praise him. I love the Holy Spirit. But, uh, but this morning, we're continuing our sermon series, Come Alive. We're in the fourth of six weeks. So if you're wondering how much longer is this series going on, we're halfway there pretty much. And this series is all about how Jesus wants to breathe life over the dead spaces of our hearts and our lives. He wants to wake us up from our spiritual slumber and call us into his dream for our lives. And, and we're doing this by discussing different gifts that God gives us, like the gift of forgiveness, like the gift of resurrection life, like the gift of adoption. And now this week, the gift of friendship, the Holy Spirit. He gives us the gift of friendship with the Holy Spirit to help guide us and lead us. So that's the title of the sermon, Friendship. So if you have your Bibles, turn... Or turn with me to John 14. We're going to be in 14 and 16 today. And John, or John 14 and 16 are a part of a series of teachings by Jesus called the Farewell Discourse, which is John 13 through 17. So why is it called that? It's called that because these are the last instructions that Jesus gives his disciples before he leaves the earth. So he obviously thought these things were fundamentally important. So you're so when you're reading 13 to 17, those are very important things that Jesus wanted to leave his disciples with. And within these chapters, Jesus gives us five sayings about the helper, which is the translation of the Greek word paraclete or parakletos, the helper who is the Holy Spirit. There's five different sayings, and that's why we're kind of jumping around today, because they're kind of scattered throughout. And this word paraclete is really difficult to translate in a way that you can really catch the fullness of the word. It means advocate, it means comforter, counselor, and helper, all in one word. And, and taken together, the word literally means one who comes alongside. Okay, so this word gives the imagery of having someone to walk with us moment by moment and guide us. The advocate encourages us. He exhorts us, which is kind of like calling us up higher, calling us to do better. He, he gives us support when we're down. He, he strengthens us. He's what a best friend should be, really. Someone who comes alongside and helps carry the load with us. That's what friends are supposed to be. People who are going the same direction as you that are helping you carry your load. And Jesus is telling his disciples, he's saying, I'm not leaving you alone, but I'm giving you the helper to walk with you. And it's to your advantage that I go away because this helper is going to be available and accessible all the, all the time. In fact, he's going to live in your hearts. Okay, so let's read here, verse 15 through 17, and then we're going to do 26 through 27, and then we're jumping down to chapter 16. So let's go. He says, if you love me, this is Jesus talking, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither 
sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, but and let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then down to chapter 16, he says in verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For, I, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world who is Satan is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but, but instead whatever he hears, he will speak, for he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that this word would just penetrate our hearts this morning. And God, we pray that you speak to us. I pray for people this morning who need encouragement. I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that, that people that need to be kind of, are kind of jostled a little bit, kind of convicted. I, I pray that you would do that this morning, God. I pray that you would challenge us, you would encourage us. And God, I pray that, that we would be more formed into the image of what we're supposed to be, which is like you, Jesus. So I just pray that that would happen this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, main idea this morning is this. When we come to know the Holy Spirit as friend, we come alive. When we come to know the Spirit as friend, we come alive. Okay, so what do I mean by Holy Spirit? Maybe you're like, what is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. So maybe you're like, what is the Trinity? Well, I'm still trying to figure that out. Okay, we'll figure that out at some point. It's because it's, it's confusing. I don't know if you know that about the Trinity. But the Trinity is, is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Okay, so they are one in essence, but three persons. Okay, try to wrap your mind around that. They are each fully God. Again, they're three persons, but they're still just one God. And for all of eternity, these three members of the Trinity have, have mutually loved and served each other. And now God invites us into that relationship. And the Holy Spirit, he is a he. He's not an it. That's important. It's very, very important. It's fundamentally important that uh, we understand that the Holy Spirit is not a force to be harnessed, but he's a friend to relate to. He's a person. He's not some weird force that we get spooked out about. And when Jesus walked the earth, he could only be in one place at one time. He couldn't, or couldn't be everywhere at once. But now the Holy Spirit can live inside our hearts and inside of every Christian's heart. And if you have put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. So know that this morning. You have access to the Holy Spirit if you've put your faith in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is supposed to help us as he dwells inside of us. Okay, so I want to spend the rest of our time unpacking how he helps us uh, specifically. And we're going to get it right from the passage. Uh, so I want to read 15 through 17 again. And I have something from there. And I'm going to take every part of the passage and kind of show you how the Spirit helps us. Okay, so 15 through 17 again. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay, so first thing the Holy Spirit does this morning, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, is the Holy Spirit helps us live rightly. The Holy Spirit, he helps us live rightly. Okay, so Jesus says, he says, if you know, or he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, okay? And then 
And then right after that, he says, but I'm sending you a helper to be with you. It's only through the helper that we can truly love and obey Jesus. In fact, when we come to faith in Christ and we first begin to love him and obey him, it starts with a supernatural awakening of our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We call this, we call this the work of regeneration. Like the Holy Spirit brings our hearts to life, which really you know, captures the heart of this series. In John 3, Jesus says, he says, you have to be born again to be saved. You have to be born again to be saved. And then, and then when he's asked about what that means, he says this in verse 5. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, which is kind of referring to baptism, and the spirit, which is referring to the Holy Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. If we want to be saved, we have to be born of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must bring our hearts to life. It's not something we can do where we can just decide, okay, I'm going to be a Christian. No, the Holy Spirit awakens our heart, and then we respond to God as he does that. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, I'll put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone and give you, or from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Okay, so when we come to faith in Christ, the Spirit gives us a new heart. He comes to live on the inside. If you don't have it yet, I'll give you one more verse just for fun. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Paul says this. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, be old. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Okay, so when we come to faith in Christ, we become a new creature. We come into a whole new way of living. This new creatureness enables us to walk away from sin and instead live the life that God has called us to live. We can't live the life that God's called us to live on our own. Instead, we need the Holy Spirit to, or to awaken our hearts and help us to love and obey Jesus. Okay, so if we're honest, some of us came in here this morning and we are struggling to live rightly. We're struggling to love our spouse and our kids well. We're struggling to put others' needs before our own. We're struggling not to fight with people on social media about politics. Okay, I everyone got quiet. We're struggling not to be greedy in this uncertain moment. We're struggling with sexual impurity. I could go on and on, but for sake of our comfort level, I won't. But Jesus is saying to us this morning that if we want to love and obey him, we must let the Holy Spirit do a work on the inside. If you don't know Jesus, it starts with putting your trust in Jesus. It starts with responding to the Holy Spirit's work by putting your trust in Jesus. You have to do that before the Holy Spirit can live on the inside. But if you do know Jesus, it's not like the Holy Spirit just takes over and you start living perfectly. That's not how it works. Instead, you have to progressively let the Holy Spirit work more and more in your life. Okay, so Galatians 5, 16, and 17, we read this last week, but I want to read it again. It says, but I say, walk by the spirit, the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Okay, so if we want to walk by the spirit, if we want to live the life that God's called us to live, we must feed the spirit inside of us, the Holy Spirit, and starve out our flesh, our sinful nature. That's what that means. So what does this look like? That sounds really spiritual. Well, it is spiritual, but it's also practical. This looks like confessing our sins. Okay, so if you sin, you know, you only have to confess it to Jesus to be forgiven. You know, it says he's faithful and just to forgive us when we confess our sins. But, but James 5.16 also says if you confess your sins to one another, you'll be healed because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. So that's part of the reason why we have small groups is a space for you to safely share your struggles. And one of our rules in small group is that, is that what's said there stays there. Okay, so if you're, 
if your friends in small group go and tell everyone about your struggle, they get in trouble by their small group leader. Well, I don't know what we can do, but we just say, don't do it again. But, but that's a rule we have. You've got to keep it confidential. But, but the point is, we want to be a people who confess our sins. We don't want to just hang on to our sins and just deal with them privately. We want to invite people in to help us so we can kill that sin. Because sin grows best in the dark, but it's killed when it's exposed to the light. Because I don't know if any of you ha- have seen Harry Potter 1. Okay, I don't know if we like Harry Potter, some, or some of us don't, and that's okay. But uh, in Harry Potter 1, there's like a snake that's like strangling Ron. I don't know if it's a snake, it's something. But it's just strangling him, strangling him, and strangling him. And then when the wand goes off and it, it has this bright light, all of a sudden the, the snake dies. And I share that to say, not saying you should go watch Harry Potter. What I'm saying is that, is that when we confess our sin, it kills sin's grip on us. It's like the sin just kind of like untangles off of us because we brought it out to the light. Satan loves to keep our sin in the dark. And Jesus loves it when we bring it to the light because that's where we find healing as people pray for us. So I want to encourage you, if you want to feed your spirit and starve out the flesh, confess your sins. Okay, something else you can do is spend extravagant time with Jesus. Spend extravagant time with Jesus. Okay, what's that look like for you? I don't know. Like, what's extravagant to you? I think that's a question we all have to consider, but I encourage you every single day, spend time with the Lord. That looks like Bible reading, that looks like prayer, that looks like worshiping him. Spend extravagant time with the Lord. Or the Lord, if you want to get sin out of your life, get Jesus into your life more. It also comes, again, through spending time with other believers in small groups. It comes with actually worshiping during the music on Sundays and not just standing there. There's all these different things we can do to, or to give the Spirit more strength in our lives and, and, and to cut off the flesh. But the point is, if you're spending all your time feeding your flesh and not feeding the Spirit, obviously you're going to struggle with sin. I remember this week, sorry, I got this random stories I'm sharing. I wasn't planning on sharing Harry Potter. I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I'm going to. Uh, this week, me and Emily were having a tough morning with our kids. Jane was just deciding to be mad that morning. And I was going out in the car, and I was starting the car, trying to get Abram out there, and we are just struggling. And I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Daniel, why don't you go inside and pray with your wife and your kids right now and see what happens? I'm like, okay, let's go pray. So I go in, and we pray, and Jane just calms down and puts her head into my shoulder. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit started to, uh, to take over that space in the, in the living room that morning, and the whole morning changed. Because we invited God into our situation instead of just trying to do it on our own strength. The Holy Spirit, though, he doesn't just help us love and obey Jesus. He also guides us into the truth. Okay, 14, 26 says this. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. And then chapter 16, 13, and 14 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but... But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Okay, second thing the Holy Spirit does is he helps us to think rightly. Okay, so Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth both in 14 and 16 because the Holy Spirit, he communicates truth and he bears witness to the truth, which is Jesus and the Word of God. The disciples failed over and over again in their understanding of Jesus. You have to understand, they always seemed to screw it up. When they were asked who Jesus was, they could not answer the question correctly. So one of the primary jobs of the Holy Spirit was to remind the disciples of Jesus' teaching and help them grasp uh, the resurrection and what it meant after Jesus left the earth because Jesus wasn't there anymore. So the Holy Spirit had to help them to figure out uh, the New Testament, essentially, or to figure out Christian doctrine. And this explains how the disciples were able to go from a bunch of confused fishermen to people who wrote the entire New Testament for the most part. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is still in the business of guiding us and leading us into truth today. 
Our primary and only authoritative source of truth is the Bible. So hear me on that. But as we read the scripture, the Holy Spirit partners with the scripture to illuminate it to us and to help us to understand it correctly. Because I know when I'm reading Leviticus and I'm reading about the blood laws and all this different stuff, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me and helps me to understand it. And not just with goofy stuff like that, but, but with the entire Bible. Some of these, these more grandiose doctrines, he helps us to understand it. In a sense, the Spirit is our own personal tutor who, who teaches us about God. He, and he also helps us to, uh, to, or to remember what we've learned in the moments that we need it, right? Because sometimes we read something like, that's good truth, but I don't know how to apply it right now. But then the Holy Spirit brings it back to our remembrance so we can apply it in the right moment. Okay, so I remember at the beginning of the COVID stuff back in March, it was so hard to know what was true and what wasn't. You know, one day we would hear, hey, everybody needs to not wear a mask. It doesn't work. The next day we're hearing everybody needs to wear a mask. Some people on Facebook, which like, they weren't experts necessarily, but my friends were saying, you know, COVID's like the flu. It's fine. And then there's others that, you know, again, aren't experts, but saying this is the end of the world. We're, we're doomed. It was hard to, or to think rightly about the virus because there wasn't a clear sense of authoritative truth on the topic. And I don't, you know, think there really is now. But, but maybe you come in here today and you don't know how to think. We're living in the misinformation and the disinformation age. It's not the information age anymore. There, there's all this false and misleading information all around us. And I don't know about you, but I don't know what to think about half this stuff. I don't know what to believe. I'm confused most of the time. I'm like, I just heard this, and I saw all these stats and these bar charts, and it looks great for this argument, and then I see the exact opposite the next moment. I'm like, I have no idea what is going on. I watched a documentary on Netflix a couple weeks ago about social media. And in the documentary, they said that fake news travels six times faster than accurate news on Twitter. The truth is we live in an age of falsehood and lies. We don't know how to believe. We don't know what to believe. And this is largely because of two things. One, it's because of social media. And two, it's because of the erosion of traditional forms of authority. There's a mistrust of traditional sources of authority. And I'm not saying whether that's right or wrong. I'm just telling you the truth. That, that's what's happened. We don't trust our government. We don't trust people in power. And at the same time, anyone can have a platform on social media. They can make a video on it, and then they sound good. So everyone's like, yes, that guy. <laughs> so it creates this perfect storm where everyone can present their own version of the truth, and there's no one to come in and say, that's not correct. And all of us say, okay, we agree with that person because it's, it's the person with the Ph.D. and the person who knows what they're talking about. And we also see misinformation in church teaching. I'm telling you guys, if you want to find a way to twist the Bible to fit what you wanted to say, just do a Google search. You'll find something out there. There are so many compelling narratives telling us what God thinks about different issues. Again, just Google, and you can find a, like a liberal Jesus. You can find a conservative Jesus. You can find any type of Jesus you want. They'll twist him to fit your image. I know I'm stepping on some toes this morning, but it's the truth, and we need to know this. We have to remember that our only authoritative source of truth is the Bible, not just the Bible, not just ripping verses out of context, but the accurate interpretation of it. And that's why we have to do the hard work of really understanding what it meant then and how it applies today. We have to do, or do the work of accurately understanding it, of actually submitting to it when we read something that goes against what we thought, and also rooting ourselves in it. It's more important now than ever to ground ourselves in the truest thing we have, which is the Holy Scriptures. As the media fights for our attention, as we sift through falsehood, as we have to deal with all the experts in our Facebook feed who don't know anything. <laughs> Sorry, it just gets old. Uh, we need to be rooted in the word of God so that the Holy Spirit can illuminate it to us 
and guide us into truth. We should make a commitment to read the word of God daily. If you've never read the Bible, I, I encourage you, it's, it's not as scary as it seems. I encourage you to start with one chapter per day of the gospel. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell the story of Jesus' life. Start with one chapter a day and continuously read through it. So by that I mean if you do Matthew 1 on Monday, then do Matthew 2 on Tuesday. Don't just jump around to your favorite passages. Instead, work through the Bible one book at a time. Eventually, you can do two chapters a day, and eventually, maybe you could read the whole, the whole Bible every year. Okay, so I think that was the most challenging part of the sermon. So now we can, actually, the next part, it's going to get you really encouraged. So get excited about this. Okay, so, so we've seen that the Holy Spirit, he helps us how to live. He helps us to think properly, but he also teaches us how to feel. Okay, so just after Jesus tells us that the Spirit will help us to remember things we need to remember, it says this in verse 27. It says, peace I leave with you. And my peace I give to you, not as, the, not as the world gives do I give to you. And let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Okay, third point, the Holy Spirit helps us to feel rightly. In the context of talking about the Holy Spirit, Jesus promises transcendent peace. Even as Jesus, he was preparing to suffer and to die on the cross. And he knew that his disciples were going to face a similar fate you know, further down the road. But they were going to face the same fate. He says that peace is available. So he's telling us peace is not about your circumstances, but peace is about who holds your life in his hands. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. I, the King of kings, the Lord of the universe, has given you peace. In the Roman world where Jesus and his disciples lived, the Roman peace, the, the Pax Romana, was won and, man, and maintained by force. But the peace that Jesus promised was, was coming, or this messianic peace was coming through an innocent man dying on a cross. And by his death, he purchased for his followers peace with God and peace that surpasses understanding. And then later on in our passage, in, in verse 33, we didn't read this yet, but he says this. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Why is this kind of peace available to uh, the disciples of Jesus and you and I who follow Jesus? It's available, well, Paul tells us in Romans 8. I'll just let him tell us. In verse 35, 37 or through 39, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that there's neither death nor life or angels or rulers or present things or things to come or powers or height or depth or anything else in all creation that's able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can have peace because nothing in this world or nothing this world throws at us can separate us from the love of God. The worst possible fate for you and I is separation from God. But Jesus Christ has bridged that gap. The Messiah has bridged that gap. And now nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not tribulation, not distress, not persecution, not famine, not nakedness or sword. Or for us, not pandemics, and not politics, not racism, not government shutdowns or societal upheaval. Nothing, nothing in the external world can shake our inward peace because the Holy Spirit of God lives in our hearts. The one who has been there from the beginning and knows everything that's ever happened, everything that's going to happen, he lives inside of us. We have been sealed by him for the day of redemption. 
Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, this is Paul again. He says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, uh, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, the guarantee. It's not an if, it's a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Our glory. Through the Spirit, we can know that there's a great inheritance coming in a world of turmoil the spirit of god promises peace he promises us the ability to feel rightly no matter what's going on in our circumstances galatians 5 22 and 23 says but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such things there is no law in a world of selfishness we can be loving in a world of despair, we can be joyful. In a world of anxiety, we can have peace. In a world of stress, we can be patient. In a world of harshness, in a world of harshness, we can be kind. Kindness, Jesus, please help us. In a world of brokenness, we can be good. In a world of compromise, we can be faithful. I don't wanna compromise, guys. I do not wanna compromise the word of God to fit with our culture. In a world of compromise, we can be faithful. In a world of roughness, we can be gentle. In a world of the flesh, we can be self-controlled. When I was in elementary school, I had a bully on the school bus. I think you're supposed to have a bully on the school bus. It's like part of life. And he always wanted to fight with me. He was two grades older, and I also just liked to pick fights. I heard like, my dad was a little bit of a street fighter when he was younger, before he knew Jesus. I heard some of those stories. It's like, i got to be a fighter too. <laughs> but every day before I get on the school bus, my mom would say, hey, don't let no one steal your joy. Every day she said that. I think she said that when I was a senior in high school. I'm getting in my car with my beard. Hey, don't let no one steal your joy. <laughs> but I think it's a good way to start your day. As followers of Jesus, we don't need to let anyone steal our joy. And we don't need to let anyone uh, steal our peace. As we talked about last week, the flesh has no rights over us. The world has no rights over us. But the Holy Spirit is the only one who has rights over us. And the Holy Spirit promises peace and joy. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to be in the right state of mind no matter what our circumstances are. So this morning, I know some of us are struggling. We're struggling to feel rightly in these uncertain days. There are so many things robbing us of our peace and of the fruit of the Spirit. The news, our finances, the health crisis, the lack of community, and so forth, they're robbing us of our peace. But let us be a people of the Holy Spirit of God. Let us determine that, that no matter what is going on in the external world, we're going to have inward peace because our king, he's defeated death, sin, hell, and the grave on the cross and through his resurrection. He has purchased the right for us to have peace with God and to be his children. He has given us the right to become children of God. If that's the truth, we don't need to be stressed about anything. He's taken away the worst possible fate, which is separation from God for eternity. But now our eternity is decided. So let us be a people of transcendent peace. We could probably end the message, but I'm going to do one more. Okay. <laughs> we see in the Holy Spirit, he tells us how to live. Or he shows us how to live. He shows us how to think, how to feel. But he does something else for us. John 16, 8 through 11. And you're going to love this. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Fourth and final point, someone said hallelujah, I'm going to Raising Cain's after this, is this. The Holy Spirit 
helps us to respond to Jesus rightly. Okay, so the last thing we see the Holy Spirit doing is he convicts us. He helps us to respond to Jesus correctly. See, when Jesus came to earth, he proclaimed, he, he called people to repent. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In order for us to repent, which means to change our ways or to turn around, in order, or in order for us to do that, we have to first experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit, he helps us to respond to Jesus correctly by, by convicting us. So what does it mean to be convicted? Well, convicted means to be convinced of your guilt and thus called to repentance. It's important, though, to know the difference between conviction and condemnation. Okay, so condemnation is when you feel guilt and shame in such a way that you feel like you could never change and you have to pay God back. And you feel like God would never love you. And last week we talked about Romans 8.1 where it says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So we know that's not what conviction is. Instead, conviction is when God's love, it stirs us up to, or to want to change and to leave our destructive lifestyles. It convinces us of our wrong way of doing things and it calls us up higher into God's will for our lives. So when we sin, the Spirit is there and He's a loving guide trying to call us to repentance. So what does it mean to, to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment? Well, when or Jesus says, he says, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So before we believe in Jesus and get a new heart, we can't, or can't know that uh, we walk in death and we need life. So the Holy Spirit does this beautiful work of showing us our sin so that we can know that we need life. It's not a condemning work, but it's a gracious work that's bringing us to repentance and change that needs to happen. We're headed off a cliff and the Spirit is trying to stop us. In the same way as we walk with Jesus, even after you come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit's going to show you where you've done wrong so you can make things right relationally with God because you have a relationship with God. It's just like a husband and wife. You need to ask for forgiveness when you wrong God. And the Holy Spirit is wooing us to do that. He also says that uh, the Spirit convicts the world of, of righteousness and judgment. And by that, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but by that, he's referring to the false kind of religious righteousness that thinks we can earn something from God. And he's, con and he's referring to the, the type of judgment that judges by, or by mere appearances and not by what's in the heart. He's saying righteousness can only be attained through trusting in Jesus, who's the righteous one. And the only one who can judge correctly is Jesus because he's the true judge. So in summary, the Holy Spirit, he shows us where we're off. He convinces us of our guilt in our sin, in our false righteousness, and in our poor judgment of others. As we experience this conviction, his goal is that we would respond correctly by, by repenting and by turning around, by being humble before God. If you want to know God's will for your life, it's that you'd be humble before him. Right? He wants you to be humble and to experience restoration. A great example of this is something that happened during my senior year of college. I was taking a class that taught biblical Greek. And one of our assignments was to read the Greek New Testament every single day alongside our actual devotions. Instead of doing it every day, instead what I would do, I did my devotions, but I didn't do the Greek part. And instead what I would do is I would do it all in one day. I would like do catch-up on the day right before it was due. And honestly, I didn't think anything of it for like two or three months. I didn't feel conviction. I thought it was fine. You know, I can just do it all in one day. But then randomly, towards the very end of the year, I felt the Holy Spirit convict me and said, hey, you're not doing what your professor asked you to do. You're su are supposed to do it daily, not all in one day. So I was faced with a dilemma. I had straight A's. I had never gotten a B in, in middle school, high school, I think in middle school in sixth grade, but not high school or college. I was in my last semester. And I knew if I confessed and I lost points, I would get a B. 
So I had a dilemma. I said, do I confess to my professor and lose points and get my first ever B in the last semester of college because I was an idiot, or do I just repent to God and start doing it right so I can keep my A? I think we've all been there. Can I do it the easy way or the hard way? Well, it, I, I think it lasted like 10 minutes, and then I said, I got to send an email to my professor and tell her what happened. The conviction was so strong. I knew I needed to honor God, and I didn't want to get a 4.0 by cheating. I told my professor, and I anxiously awaited her response. And, and to my surprise, I woke up the next morning, and she thanked me for telling her. She probably thought I was weird. But, but she forgave me, and she asked me to start doing it correctly. I'm so thankful that the Spirit convicted me of that because I know myself, and I, and I would have always felt like my grade was illegitimate. And the Holy Spirit, he's the best friend you could ever ask for. He knew that about me. And he said, Daniel, you need to get this off your chest or else you're going to regret that for the rest of your life. And also, he doesn't want you to cheat, right? But the Holy Spirit, he wanted to save me years of regret and turmoil. So his conviction is not because he's mad at you or, or he wants something bad for your life or he wants to steal your joy. It's because he knows what's better for you. John was talking about that, actually. John Griffin, when he came up and shared, he's talking about how, the, how God knows what's best for us. And the Holy Spirit knows what's best for you, and that's why he convicts you. He wants you to do what's right. So the Holy Spirit, he longs for us to respond to God correctly when we sin. He doesn't want us to stay in our sin or ignore our sin, but he wants us to bring it out to the light and come up higher. But for this to happen, our hearts have to be softened towards God, and we have to, and we have to be ready to respond properly to him. We have to be humble and willing to change. So maybe this morning you need the, the, or the beautiful conviction of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe there's an area of your life where you've been disobeying God. And you need to bring it before him and renounce it and walk in a new direction. Or maybe you need to be convicted of your righteousness. You never thought you could be convicted of righteousness, right? But because you've been trying to earn God's favor through your actions while your heart is far from him. Or maybe you need to be convicted of judgment. Maybe you've been judging wrongly and you need to let the judgment of Jesus stand. He's a good judge. He can handle the judgment. You don't have to do it. The Holy Spirit wants us to be a people who experiences his conviction and respond rightly. He wants us to see our need so that we can be restored. The main idea this morning is this. When we come to know the Holy Spirit as a friend, we come alive. The Holy Spirit is meant to come alongside us and help us to holistically live the life that we're supposed to live. He covers like all his bases. He helps us how to live rightly. He helps us how to think rightly. He helps us how to feel rightly. He helps us how to, how to respond to God rightly. And maybe this morning you need help living rightly. You've been struggling to love and to obey Jesus, and you need the Spirit's help. You've been struggling with, with sexual purity or, or with anger or greed or bitterness. Can I get an amen? Bitterness. You've been trying to conquer these things on your own. Guys, I've been there. I, I, I struggle with stuff, right? I struggle with bitterness. I've been there, and, and I've experienced this trying to conquer these things on my own. You know, that morning is a great example. When I came in and said, let's pray, I was trying to, to make everything work out myself. And then God said, hey, why don't you just shut up and invite me in? Sorry, I shouldn't say shut up during a sermon, but be quiet and invite me in. This morning, I just want you to know this. I want, or God wants you to know this. He wants you to know that the Spirit is available to you. And you don't have more of the Spirit in your life because you haven't been seeking more of the Spirit. It's not like God's holding out on you like, oh, if they would just. It's not like God's holding out and saying, hey, I don't want to give them the Spirit. So you're like praying and seeking and just doing all the right things, feeding your Spirit, and you don't get the Spirit. That's not how it works. If you seek God, if you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. So God is waiting. He is waiting to give you more of 
the Spirit, He's waiting for you to have access to more of the Spirit in your life and to have more freedom, but you have to, or to do the things that God calls you to do, like spend time with Him, confess your sin, all these different things. You have to lean into Him. Or maybe this morning you need help you know, thinking rightly. You're confused by all the misinformation in our world. And you even struggle with what to believe about God. This morning, know that the Holy Spirit, He's a faithful guide. And as you read his word, he can guide you to truth. This morning, make a decision. Say, I'm going to read the Bible daily. I'm not going to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but I'm going to be transformed by the renewal of my mind. I don't want to be conformed to this world. This world is whack. Can I get an amen? It is whack. I don't want to be conformed to this world. I want to be conformed to heaven. I want heaven to transform my mind. I don't care what all my friends are doing. I don't care what the world's doing. I want Jesus. And as we read his word, as we seek him, he will be faithful to show us the truth. Or maybe you need help feeling rightly this morning. You need that transcendent peace that Jesus offers in these turbulent times. 2020 has messed with your peace. And you need the peace that surpasses understanding. This morning, remember, there's nothing that could ever separate you from the love of God. That is the key to peace. Or maybe you need help responding to God rightly this morning. You're tempted to respond to God incorrectly by, by one of two errors. One, you're trying to condemn yourself and, and beat yourself up. Or two, you're trying to numb yourself to God's promptings and ignore him. Those aren't the right ways. Don't condemn yourself. Don't beat yourself up. But at the same time, don't ignore God and just numb it. Instead, deal with it. Confess it to God. Con or confess it to friends and get prayer and get right with him. And finally, some of you came in this morning and if you're honest, you don't have access to the Holy Spirit at all because you have not put your trust into Jesus. To become a Christian, to become a follower of Jesus, all you have to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God has raised him from the dead. Essentially, what you have to do is, is to believe that Jesus is who he says he was. And as you do that, God will give you a new heart He'll put a new spirit in you. Come on, somebody. You'll become a new creation. Come on, let's give God praise for that, seriously. Guys, we need to be excited about this. Guys, we need to be excited about this. In a world where everything's decaying, God can make you a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has gone and the new has come. And all you've got to do is say, Jesus, I need you. All right, so let's do that this morning. If you're here and you want to put your trust in Jesus and, and become a follower of him or, or recommit your life to him, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes all across this room. If you feel like the Holy Spirit wants to wake your heart up this morning, this is for you. If you want to be a follower of Jesus this morning, this is for you, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three, and when I do, I want you to slip up your hand to heaven and say, Jesus, I'm with you. Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to trust you with my life. Okay, so one, two, three. Three, slip them up all across this room for those who want to put their faith in Jesus. All right. I'm going to pray for you a simple prayer of repentance and trust in Jesus and, and pray along with me. So Jesus, this morning we come to you and God, we say we are crummy gods on our own. We need you to be our Lord. So Jesus, this morning we confess that you are Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised you from the dead. And Jesus, we just pray that you would be faithful to do what you say you will do and to make us a new creation all across this room. God, I pray that that there be new creations made in this room, that you'd breathe over our dead hearts. God, that this wouldn't just be a sermon series, but it would be a reality, that you're making people come alive in this house. 
Jesus, we pray for that for the Cedar Valley as well. We pray that there be so many lost people who come to know Christ in our community, that people need you. So Jesus, I pray that you would do that in your name. All right, let's stand up all across this room. Let's stand up. Let's worship God. Let's be a people who walk with the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm going to pray us out as we ask the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us, and then I want to worship Him together as a family one more time, okay? So Holy Spirit, we just want to ask you this morning to lead us, to guide us, to truly be our helper, and to come alongside. Help us to live and to think and to feel and to respond to you rightly. So Holy Spirit, we thank you for that this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's worship God. Let's give Him everything we got this morning.